If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. It's getting very hot in my office as I have to close all the doors, windows, and turn off the fans and air conditioners to make sure that there's no uh, ambient noise. So I'm getting a little getting a little sweaty with all this shouting, Yahtzee. Could be worse. You could be in California. Good. Oh, good. You're right. So... Here we are in the podcast that comes after Slightly Civil War, where we can talk about how we actually feel about story versus gameplay and which is more important. Well, I think there are two essential points that need to be addressed. The first one is what exactly we mean when we say story and gameplay. We should work mm-hmm. out some definitions there. Sure. And secondly, I should state that in reality, of course, my opinion is extremely nuanced. That's the problem with debating, of course. You have to be hard one side or hard another. Of course. Well, that, that's the difficult and fun part of the debate. What's closer to my true opinion is that story and gameplay create the best results when working mm-hmm. together in an equal partnership. Uh, I can I can agree with that. I, I, think, I think so many games... And really... The the only reason why I like to come so hard on the side of gameplay is because I feel like many, especially AAA developers, don't use the gameplay tools to tell the story. That's often the case. How many games have we seen where it's just move forward, kill another bunch of enemies, fade out, cutscene, fade up, move forward to the next arena? That would be a good example of a bad use of story in games. <laughs> Right, it's where the the story and the gameplay go off to their separate little corners and they wave to each other as you pass by them. But getting back to the subject of definitions, I once concocted a theory for how to parcel out the appeal of a video game to its audience. Mm -hmm. It was the three C's theory, context, challenge and catharsis. All right, go for it. Story, I would describe as context. Story is something that establishes not just what we're doing, but why we're doing it. And as I said, even Space Invaders has context. It's a monster, it's invading, get rid of it. Mm -hmm. That's context, that's story. All games require it to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. Whereas gameplay is covered by the other two legs, challenge and catharsis. Challenge is, as it says, it's challenge, and catharsis is that extra factor that's hard to define. It's like Mm. when you shoot a bunch of enemies in Resident Evil 4 with a shotgun. It's not particularly challenging, and there's not much context behind it, but it's cathartic nonetheless. Well, but then by by your very metric... You are two thirds of your combination are gameplay orientated. Well, proportions probably shouldn't be analyzed too much. (laughs) But one of the things I discovered when I was touting this theory is that a game can be a success if it has a strong presence in any one of the three legs. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of very successful games that are only really good story games. Uh, Planescape Torment springs to mind Secret of Monkey Island a lot of those LucasArts adventure games mm-hmm. the popular visual novels sure. the Phoenix Wrights the, Fe- the, uh, the Telltale games yes mm-hmm. and there are games that are remembered very very fondly that are just only really have a very strong presence in Challenge or Catharsis your Dooms, your Shooters your more classic arcade experiences mm-hmm. but if you want to find games that are generally regarded as 
all-time classics, you need a nice balance. And I think that's fair. I think we we talked about this a little bit a few episodes ago over when we were talking about procedural generation. Ah, uh, yes, which ended up turning into an argument that you should murder all storytellers or something. <laughs> Well, I want to say in in the podcast, you know, because, of course, we talked about Isaac a ton, The Binding of Isaac, as as it's the preeminent roguelike. And uh, and we we had mentioned uh, Enter the Gungeon, yes. which has very similar gameplay mechanics. But, you know, at, at least for me personally, never hit as hard. And it, I think it didn't hit as hard because it didn't have that driving story that Isaac had, you know, the. The the very, you know, small personal story of just a, a little boy who's afraid of his mother was was kind of peppered throughout Isaac, whereas Gungeon, it was just, I don't know, keep going, keep shooting things, I guess. Yes, but Isaac had a thing you could sort of put in the back of your mind as you were going through it. Mm-hmm. It was your motivation. I, I agree, yeah. When we talk about story and gameplay balance, what we're really talking about is primary and secondary loops. Mm-hmm. Uh, gameplay as a, by our definitions at the moment is the primary loop it's what you're doing on a second by second basis mm-hmm. it's the combat it, it's the grinding it's the planting and watering stuff in stardew valley <sighs> it's it's the puzzle solving in an adventure game sure exactly whereas the secondary loop is the thing you're trying to get to through the many stepping stones of the primary loop mm, it's the okay. greater context it's trying to get to the end of the level in doom and trying to get to the end of all the levels overall it's sure. the finally having enough money to buy a house upgrade and marry someone in Stardew Valley. <laughs> right. Story story is the long-term investment, hmm. I would say. Gameplay is the short-term, and that's why they work well as a team. <laughs> well, and, you know, I we've we've talked a lot about how that primary loop can inform the larger loop and that's that's the real breakaway with games where it doesn't connect is the primary loop is is divergent from the secondary loop quite the primary <laughs> loop uh, often the two loops feed into each other often a, a very common secondary loop for example is leveling up mm-hmm. and we level up in order to make the primary loop slightly uh, i wouldn't say easier slightly more engaging Mm-hmm. It makes you feel more powerful in the act of smacking monsters about. Sure. Which is part of the the story of the player. <laughs> right, You're, that's part of your internal hero's journey. So you do the primary loop to get to the end of the secondary loop, and then in doing so you improve the primary loop. That's pretty pretty game design 101 right there. Well, and I, I like that, and I, I like that, and, and I suppose when we're when we're talking about balancing story and gameplay, I, I think once again uh, we both agree that both are needed. But in the in the question of which is more important, once again the primary loop is the gameplay, and the secondary loop is in the realm of the story. Oh, we get, are we getting into semantics again, Captain Semantic? I I don't want I don't want to get into semantics and I don't want to be cynical. I I am I am more of an arcadey gamer. And truth so- is in the middle is a wishy washy <laughs> argument in most cases. I think, but I think in this case it works pretty well. Mm. I would say that you need both. It's uh, very much a truth is in the middle situation. I I I can agree with you. I can agree with you a little bit. I think they have a what do what do they call what do they call that like. Uh, you know, sharks have those school of fish that like swim under them and the fish 
the fish clean the shark um, to keep the shark happy, and then the shark like leaves stuff for the fish to eat. Ah, uh, yes, the um, reciprocal relationship. Oh, is that what it's called? No, it's um, what's that called? Because that happens with like <laughs> the goby and the pistol shrimp that live together because one of them can't see very well, and the other one's got a weapon. Um. I want to look this up because I feel like I feel like that's what we're talking about here. It's on the tip of my tongue. Right. Cohabitate. That's not it. Symbiosis. That's that's, that's the, the word. When living together is win-win. And so yeah. the story and, story and gameplay is a symbiotic relationship. That's what we're going for here. A game that's like there are examples of like pure story games, mm-hmm. like your visual novel, and there are examples of pure gameplay games, like um, Pong, <laughs> or or Tetris. Let's be honest. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Tetris doesn't have much story. I'd argue it does have like context, as previously defined, though. Eh, I mean, you got some bricks falling. That's what you got. Well, it still has the uh, still has secondary loops. Still has the journey that the player individually goes through in the process of achieving their goals. But does it? It just gets faster. There's no leveling up in Tetris. That's a difficulty curve. And a difficulty curve is a form of storytelling, he said in a weaselly, mealy-mouthed kind of way. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to skeptically agree with you then. All right. <laughs> How about that? I'll say okay. Basically, all I did this debate is just redefine everything you said as a as a story, because story is, as I say, it's a central part of the human condition. Even Mm. like doing the washing up is a story. There was washing up adversity. Now we have done the washing up success. (laughs) That's that's uh, that's stretching that definition pretty pretty darn thin. What would you define story as in this case? In in the case of gameplay story, or in the case of washing the dishes. (laughs) In the case of like video games, what what would you what do you define as the story um, I, of a video game? Oh fuck, that's a good. I think that's a really good question, isn't it? Though I th- I think it it really is because you know like currently and to give context to this conversation, I'm currently playing a game that I don't much care for, The Last of Us, which is very story heavy. That is very much an example of the aforementioned go to an arena, shoot all the dudes, fade out, fade up, cutscene, move to the next arena sort of <laughs> gameplay. Yes. In which the story and the gameplay live in... They, they had a divorce. Uh, yeah, yeah. But they share custody of us, the player. That is a game with very clearly well-defined story bit and gameplay bit. Right. They can be very easily sectioned off. For that game, you can make a big list of story elements and a big list of gameplay elements, and they could be separate lists. But there are plenty of games where that you can't separate the two things into the two lists as easily. Like mm. in Half-Life, for example. Mm. There's, uh, it will be very hard to take the individual parts of Half-Life and put them into separate lists. One for story bits and one for gameplay bits. Mm-hmm. In Half-Life 2, there's a notice board on a wall that has information on what happened to the world while you were asleep. I would right. put that in story bit. So so the the plot, the plot of Half-Life 2 is Gordon Freeman yes. needs... Oh God, I got to remember Half-Life 2 now. Gord, what is Gordon Freeman tasked with doing? He uh, wakes up in a post-apocalyptic future where humanity is oppressed by an alien oppressor and he mm-hmm. has to aid the resistance to take back control from the sinister Dr. Breen. 
Right. So that's that's the plot. Yes. And the the uh, something I guess the so the plot is the things that happen and the story is similarly the things that happen to you is the journey to do the things that happen. Yes. Right? Story is the journey to do the things right? that happen. What are we on about? Which is well I'm trying I'm trying to I'm trying to explain it to a 5-year-old, right? I'm trying to boil it down to very simple uh, very simple mechanics, because yeah, this can get like netherworldy very quickly. Well, my point was that Half Life doesn't fade out for cutscenes, so right. the entire process of it is the story bit. The process of every fight, of every exploration of buildings, sure, it, and because it's all very linearly set out, is all the process of the story. I'm with you. So there. So. <laughs> So that well, and and the the story, and the gameplay, obviously they just are one because there's no break, and so even even something like the core loop of shooting the bad guys informs the story. We learn about our enemies, we learn about our own powers, we learn about the resistance all through yes. the combat. The fact that the enemies are attacking you is part of the story. Exactly. It's established by the story that you have alerted the enemies and they (laughs) know you're here and they've come to get you. Exactly. Uh, You know, uh, where are you going with this? Did you? I don't know. Or did we forget? I'm just talking. Leave me alone. (laughs) I mean, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. That's what the people came here to see. They came here to see with their ears you talking. All right. All right. Uh, Let's get back to brass tacks. I'm ready. Here's the thing, right? Back in the day, there was a much more clear divide between PC gaming and console stroke arcade gaming. And in Mm. both cases, there wasn't enough memory in your average game to have both an intense and impressive story experience and an intense and impressive gameplay experience. So Mm -hmm. in the console and arcade sector, it was all mainly just gameplay games. Your Tetrises, your Pac-Mans, your Space Invaders, your Super Mario Brothers, your Sonic the Hedgehogs. Stuff yeah, yeah. that doesn't that didn't devote much disc or cartridge space for cutscenes. Mm-hmm. In the PC sector, on the other hand, which had a slightly more thoughtful audience of PC users, the tech nerd sect who <laughs> liked strategy games and adventure games, that had much more of a story emphasis. Mm-hmm. The early games in that sector were all like your text adventures and the like. Sure. And over the years, as technology developed, both of these diametric points gradually drifted together as memory for games became greater. The mm. gameplay-heavy games could put more story stuff on the disc. The story-heavy games could put more graphics and spectacle in their memory. Mm. Until we reached a point, I would say, around the turn of the millennium, around 2000, where the traditional advantages of the two different sectors had disappeared. Okay. I mark the turning point as the release of Deus Ex in 2000. Sure, sure, I can be with you. Which was a gameplay game and a story game. So at this point, I would argue the argument of whether story or gameplay is more important became moot. Ooh. And therefore, this entire adventure has been pointless. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Well, the, the the only thing that makes it not moot, the only thing that makes it something to talk about is game developers have not learned this lesson yet apparently not 
There are still, because I agree, there are still far too many AAA developers who take cues from the cinematic language of storytelling yes. rather than the interactive language of storytelling. And and to me, just to go back to the whole point of this, this is why the gameplay is more important to me as in a, in a world in which you were not allowed cutscenes, I I think that game developers would learn how to tell a story through gameplay, as has been done many many fantastic times in the past. But if if we only had that, if we only had gameplay, no cutscenes are allowed, then developers would learn to use the tools of the primary loop to tell the story better. Therefore, gameplay is more important. Not that story is not important at all. Right. So, yeah, this is definitions again. It's a definitions, yeah. Because what you're talking about is gameplay, as we've discussed, being used to tell the story rather than cutscenes being used to tell the story. Right. But it's still story. It's still the experience of... Uh, a satisfying structured journey. I mean, sure. the epitome of games we're talking about, I would argue, would be Dark Souls. Uh, and I can be right there with you. That is a beautifully story-driven and gameplay-driven game. Yes. And I would argue that without the story aspect, it's not as interesting at all. Uh, well, and there's proof, as we have so many Dark Souls clones now uh, there you go, that yeah. don't have that story element. So we we know that it's not as impressive. And and I suppose like going back to definitions, you know, what is gameplay? And gameplay to me is the action that the player takes. The primary loop, in other words. Right, the primary loop. And so and so I think. I think even even in you know a telltale game the gameplay of the telltale game is the dialogue choices right you have certain uh, quick time events in a telltale game but mostly it's about your dialogue choices that's the gameplay the action that the player takes it certainly is i would call that the core loop right and so if we're if we're going for definitions, we need to reach a world in which the action that the player takes affects the story or affect how the player perceives the world. Yes. 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 Basically, we both agree. Yes. And we're, right. we're just yelling at each other about how much we agree with each other. Well, that's the format, isn't it? Ha 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 ha. I guess rather than the argument of is story more important than gameplay, we should rephrase it as mm. is the primary loop more important than the secondary loop? Mm. Is the moment-to-moment -moment action, is getting all the little fiddly bits of that right, mm -hmm. making sure like the, the hits feel powerful, making sure that there's a satisfying element to it, there's a cathartic element to it, making sure the player is motivated to get better at it, mm -hmm. got that easy-to-learn, hard-to-master quality, it's all very... <laughs> It controls efficiently with uh, responsive button presses. Is all of that more important than setting up the secondary loop, which is the motivation for doing it in the first place? Mm. I would argue, ooh, nuanced truth is in the middle. <laughs> well, I would argue, I mean, I guess I've already set the trap for myself because I'm always saying in my dev diary videos that focusing on the primary gameplay loop is the most important part of game design. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a more nuanced question in something like Dark Souls, 
Mm-hmm. And in the grander scheme of things, I think there are a lot of really good games that have slightly wonky uh, primary loops, but where the story makes it worth it. Well, and that was going to be my question to you, is can you think of a game in which the primary loop kind of sucks, but overall it works together? Silent Hill 2. So- <laughs> well, there you go. Silent Hill 2 and quite basically every survival horror game, thinking uh-huh. about it, because a lot of those are sort of... They emphasize the awkwardness of the primary Mm. loop to emphasize the horror and the plot element that's in the secondary loop. All right, I'm with you. Now, uh, let's flip that around. Are there games that you consider really good that are only fun and satisfying in the primary loop and have a completely pointless plot? I love the, the example we gave earlier, which is Enter the Gungeon. True. That that is a very satisfying primary loop, but exactly you have nowhere to go. And would people argue, if you take those two extremes, Silent Hill 2 on one end and Enter the Gungeon on the other, which one is best? Silent Hill 2, obviously, <laughs> therefore, secondary loop is more important, I win. Well, and that, that's fun, because I, I, very, I very adamantly hate survival horror games. I, to, to me, I, I guess then that, that's the real question, is, is, is to me that primary loop is slightly more important than the secondary loop, but of course the secondary loop needs to exist in some fashion i'd say doom as a better example for the uh, satisfying core gameplay and basically non-existent story uh but it's there if we're talking about True. well wait is, and i guess what doom we're talking about you know that's the real question i guess i mean even in the original doom there's still the secondary loop of getting to the end of every level well and you know finding better weapons becoming more powerful fighting larger demons making you feel like the badass that you are i i think the secondary loop is is thin but there when you boil it right down a game that's all primary loop is basically the digital equivalent of popping bubble wrap <laughs> it's pure catharsis it's just plop 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 and you're not particularly trying to pop all the bubbles mm-hmm. no great adventure will be concluded because you've popped all the bubbles mm-hmm. you just like popping the bubbles so but you're talking about peggle the, uh, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> oh oh i got a ha aha. now we're getting somewhere <laughs> yes peggle would be a good example i would say of a game that's pretty much all primary loop Sure, Dr. Mario, those those types of things. Peggle's barely interactive. You can predict <laughs> where it's going to go in the first one or two bounces, but after that, you're on your own, really. <laughs> yeah, but Peggle is a very, very popular game, especially amongst casual gamers who are just looking to pop bubble wrap. Fruit machines are popular too. Not a whole lot of primary gameplay in them. A, a fruit machine? Oh, sorry. Um, a slot machine. There we go. Uh, because I was using they, British, the British terminology there. The fruit spin around, and you, I get it. Yeah, I guess it's a kind of a caveman word for it. Picture of fruit on machine. It must be a fruit machine. <laughs> a little bit. Well, and I, I wasn't sure if that was a different British slang for, like, a machine that gives you fruit, but the fruit is bad. You know, kind of like a vending machine for fruit. Who puts fruit in a vending machine? That's exactly. Listen, I don't. You, 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 you foreigners are so foreign to me. I don't know what you do. <laughs> I don't. Know I have seen fruit in vending machines, and that's usually mm-hmm. very dodgy and very manky-looking fruit. Well, and see, that's uh, that's where I assumed you meant is is you know a fruit machine something that is dodgy. But you all right, meant- all right, we're getting off topic. Fuck, fuck the topic. 
So we were saying, yes, pure story, pure secondary loop would be something like a visual novel mm-hmm. and pure primary loop would be popping bubble wrap. Would be Peggle, yeah. So we have Telltale versus Peggle. And I think you and I agree that n- neither are very good. Exactly. Let's <laughs> just uh, get back to wishy-washy truth is in the middle talking. What, what's your favorite game of all time, would you say? Ooh. Maybe not so much your favorite game, but what game do you think exemplifies video gaming at this point? Oh, for, no, these are big questions. These are big. Breath of the Wild? Breath of the Wild is great. Uh, I mean, I have to put, just for sheer hours put into it alone, I need to put The Binding of Isaac on there. Okay. Uh, just just for amount of time that I've played it, Breath of the Wild is up there. Dark Souls, I think, is a... Uh, playing playing through Dark Souls for the first time was an awakening. I've still got this list of video games considered the best ever up, and there's some weird Okay, what, what's on your on list? I'll go back to my best-selling. Well, it's a weirdly long list. Mm-hmm. Ikaruga? Who the hell thinks Ikaruga is the best game ever? The the black and white shooter thing? Yeah. Hang on, there's like citations here. Ikaruga's pretty good, but that's that's all core. That's all core gameplay loop. Oh, this is counting like games that have just appeared in somebody's like uh, top 100 list. This isn't like the mm-hmm. best game of all time. This is just, generally speaking, games that are considered good. <laughs> yeah, that's not helpful. What use are you, Wikipedia, if you can't just summarize all of video gaming? <laughs> uh, up on up on the list of best-selling and something that I think does a good job of balancing story and gameplay is uh, Grand Theft Auto. Right. Uh, specifically here, Grand Theft Auto Five. And I've just looked up highest rated on Metacritic, and number one mm-hmm. is Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time on N64. Oh, really? Yeah, I think there's a lot of nostalgia at work there. That's a, I think that's a lot of nostalgia. But I think when we talk about like emblematic games, Legend of Zelda seems to come up a lot in sure. its various incarnations. Uh, abs- absolutely, but I, I also think that the Legend of Zelda series does a good balancing job. Like you said, finding that, that middle ground where balancing gameplay and story and letting gameplay inform story, like just looking at the list of best-selling, you know, all the Pokemon games are up there. Yeah. And, you know, the Pokemon games, that's it's very simple story, but everything the play, every action the player takes in the game leads to getting stronger as a trainer and informing the story. Uh, What else do we have here that's story focused? We have Red Dead Redemption 2. This Metacritic list probably isn't helping. Number two (laughs) after Ocarina of Time is Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2. Fuck yes, I love Tony Hawk Pro Skaters, all of them. But that's, I mean, there's no story to that. That's all That's right. all arcade, which is, again, why I, I fucking love it. Yeah, there's, there's that classic Metacritic disconnect between review score and mm. user rating score. Because Pro Skater 2 has only got like a 7.5 on the user rating. Hmm. Ocarina of Time is less descend. It's 99 on the reviewer score and 9.1 on the user score. Oh, I, that's nostalgia. That's all nostalgia. I think Ocarina has... I mean, I, I enjoy Ocarina, but I think it has a lot of problems. Um, yeah, and here up on best-selling, uh, you know, I, I see Witcher 3. I see Skyrim. I see um, Diablo 3. Your RPG area. Your RPG area, which obviously are a little more story-focused, fo- but much... Would you much... say those have good stories? Because um, all of those pretty much just 
standard video game <laughs> fantasy setting, isn't it? I, I think Skyrim is is a very standard. You are you are the hero of ages story. Absolutely, I think Witcher Three handles its story and gameplay very well. Right, it's a bit more nuanced. It's still, I guess it's it's a twist on standard fantasy setting, The Witcher. It is. It is, and and the, the really just just the fact that that's the the Witcher's profession is to do side quests makes all of the side quests technically in line with the overall theme. <laughs> that's something I've always appreciated about Witcher. You're basically a jobbing trader. You go to village yes. to village in your van and say, "Oh, Witcher's in town. Let's get him to sort out that uh, ogre problem in Lower Field." <laughs> And I go, hello, I'm the Witcher, five bob an hour. <laughs> but hey, it works. That's how, that's it, technically speaking. It was always my favorite parts of Witcher 3 when doing the side quests where Geralt's just on the job. Yep. Oh, fuck, I gotta do, I gotta kill eight Neckers? Uh. Oh, well, there's your problem, madam. You've got giant tarantulas in there. <laughs> I can sort it out, but I gotta go back to depot for part. And this is gonna cost you, young lady. Right, haggling for your price as part of the yeah. gameplay uh, in in The Witcher Three is fan freaking tastic. Yeah, and it wouldn't be fun if there was no story. Yeah, I'm. Listen, I, I, you're basically. I think the more I talk to you, the more I am softing on my hatred of story and games, which is something I don't like about you in general. <laughs> I'm you're, just. You're making me think outside of my own norms. Ugh. Oh, well, I apologize for being persuasive, I guess. <laughs> I was so happy in my little bubble, and you, you brought me out of it. Ew. Well, perhaps this will help serve you as you're going through The Last of Us. Oh, no. I, I really am. I'm, I am earnestly. This will come out after I've already talked about it. So I can just say that I am legitimately earnestly giving it. A, a real chance i'm not rolling my eyes i am playing it as the game intends to be played and i i just really don't like it yeah i mean i don't like it and i like <laughs> stories i don't like it because i find uh, the main characters difficult to identify with mm-hmm. which has always been a problem with naughty dogs games for me because obviously the nathan drake shoots everyone for no reason factor mm-hmm. they kill sure. ridiculous numbers of people but it always feels the world always feels very contrived in the way it sets up situations in which you have to kill everyone Life seems very cheap there. The villains always seem to act with uh, very little sense. Yeah, well, and... People don't seem to have any regard for their own self-preservation. I mean, this is very much more pronounced in your Uncharted games, where the villains are prioritizing shooting you over (laughs) escaping from the collapsing building or the plane that's falling out of the sky or whatever it is. But (laughs) this is the case in The Last of Us 2, just not quite as overt. Well, The Last of Us 2 has different storytelling sins where, you know, your character is supposed to be very morally gray. They go out of out of their way to say, oh, I've been a bad guy and I've been a good guy and I'm just here doing a job dropping off this little girl. Yeah, but it's then, a classic arc to start with that and then redeem that character, but I don't think the game gets around to that part. Well, and all of the villains that you fight are so cartoonishly, villainously villainly that you can't even identify with your own villainy. Like, there's no rapping with you being the bad guy because everyone else is so much worse. It's a harsh world. What do you want? It's a, oh, it's a harsh world. And, and the people who have hope, oh, I hope they don't die. 
I hope I hope my girlfriend who has hope doesn't. Oh, she oh she did. <laughs> she she just did. Okay, all right, never mind. <laughs> Fucking game. Yeah, it, I guess it wears me down. <laughs> oh well, balance. And we like hope. We like hope in the story. That's why Star Wars is named after it. That's A right. Hope. That's what we want. It is what we want, though that was not the original name. Quite. It was just called your Star Wars. That's right, before it was a franchise. But then the franchise brought us hope. You know, now we've talked about it. Fuck. What? I do like story in games, but it seems like there's a lot of cases where video games have just sort of latched onto one story and then just stuck with it forever. I think Super Mario would be the most egregious example. (laughs) Of uh, saving the princess? Yeah, save the princess from Bowser, etc. There's an awful lot of games where they just stamp out, you know, a token plot. Elaborate on that. What do you mean? Well, I guess you could simplify every plot to just defeat adversity and meet your goal. (laughs) Yeah. But it seems like so many games just uh, take the easiest route possible. As you say Mm -hmm. in The Last of Us with your cartoonishly villainous dudes. Yeah, well, I... I I guess it's hard to argue that games do storytelling well when if you just describe the story of a game as tends to happen in movies based on video games then it comes across as a bit cheesy a bit shallow a bit shallow yes yeah i well and i i think i i think this kind of this might tie back into our you know uh, movies based off video games thing when we we talk a lot about dark souls and you and i both love and respect dark souls for its storytelling ability and I think this is us having to remember that video games as a medium are still relatively young. Yeah. And I, I think we have not, even within the video game world, we have not yet agreed upon established rules. Like it, it took us in, in movies, it took us until Citizen Kane before we realized that we could use the scene and the camera placement as a storytelling tool. Like it took us decades before we figured that out. Well, video games have been around for decades, multiple ones. And and, and so, uh, you know, the Dark Souls is our Citizen Kane. Well, oh, there's a quote. <laughs> there's a quote to put on dark souls's box out i, I well and i'm i'm sure another game has very seamlessly intertwined gameplay and story but no one has noticed yet <laughs> i guess not <laughs> fucking hell all right that's a, there's a challenge what games have intertwined story and gameplay as well as dark souls and it just lists souls likes i suppose well, uh, there, there's the well-worn argument that the original Legend of Zelda did so. Hmm. Uh, Can we just, like, nominate individual elements of games? Because sure. what I always enjoy from both a storytelling and uh, gameplay perspective is the insult sword fighting mechanics in The Secret of Monkey Island. <laughs> and uh, you know what? I've never played that, so describe that to me. <laughs> okay, well, here's the thing. In that game, you have to, like, master the sword as part of your arc as a character. Okay. Before you will be accepted as a pirate. And mm. uh, to master the sword, you learn like the, the technique of swinging the sword around relatively easily. But the, it turns out that the true secret of sword fighting is uh, insulting people. <laughs> so the, how the sword fighting works is you'll you, you just like clash swords for a bit and then there'll be a pause. And then, one, and then either you or the, your opponent mm-hmm. says an insult. 
Like, you fight like a dairy farmer. And the challenge then is to give the correct response. Oh, and if okay. you give the correct response, you take the advantage back. <laughs> and in that case, the answer to you fight like a dairy farmer is how appropriate you fight like a cow. Ah. And the only way to like learn the like the proper responses to each insult is to fight lots of different pirates, fight lots mm. of duels, and use the insults you learn on them until one of them gives you the correct response, and then you've learned it. Oh, how fun. But how this whole mechanic culminates is you have to fight the swordmaster to win the sword fighting element. And the swordmaster mm. throws you a curveball because uh, she uses insults that no other pirates use. Mm. She's got her own repertoire of insults. But, and here's the important part, each of her different insults has a response from the standard list of responses. And you have to figure out with your brain, with intelligence, what is the most appropriate response to the insult she uses. Ooh, I like it. That's setting up so many things in one capsule. That's setting up context for the world. That's mm-hmm. setting up an interesting, thoughtful gameplay mechanic. That's setting up things about the characters mm-hmm. that we learn in, along the process. It's and it and they're funny lines. They're funny, well-written jokes. Well, and it's it's teaching it's teaching you the player the the rules of the game without without it being so strict you know it's not dance dance revolution where they tell you which era to step on they're teaching you the abstract rules where oh yeah if 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 there's a a dairy farm insult you use the cow there's a connection there right yeah yeah i like that that's fun that would be my nomination for a very solid bringing together of all the aspects of a game all right you ready you ready for mine i'm gonna go much much simpler okay Here's here's what I got. I might be pulling this right out of my butt. Okay. Uh, away you go, Jack's butt. Mario's size changing. Okay, interesting. Go on. You know, you start off the game as regular Mario, and if you take a mushroom, you grow to Super Mario. Then if you get hit by an enemy, you go back to regular Mario. Yes, I know how Mario works. This is just in case someone's listening to this 20 years from now and have never played Mario. Right. So and after civilization has collapsed, presumably. R- well, presumably, right. So that system is basically a disguised health bar. It's a dis- disguised heart system. Sure. And so it's a way of making a, a HUD element more naturally incorporated into the gameplay. Right. And that's establishing, like, story, would you say? Well, it, it's established. I don't know if it's necessarily establishing story. It's establishing rules. It's establishing the world context, the magical world context. True. But more importantly, it's not taking you out of the game to give you dry information, right? Like even even looking at a health bar means that you are not engaged in the world. But if you can just look at your character and know how you're doing health wise, then you're more engaged in that world. Right. Yeah, I'm with you now. So right. you're saying it's, uh, it brings across the essential element of the gameplay within the context of the world, effectively, without needing to break that context with GUIs or tutorial messages. Exactly. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's a good example. <laughs> I, I'm sorry it took me so long to get around there, but but, but I knew it was there. So, what, yeah, what we need to do is is we need to we need to find... Something other than Dark Souls. Well, or it just could be Dark Souls. There has to be a perfect example of gameplay and story working as one that we can hold up as a shining example 
that's maybe not as difficult as Dark Souls because Dark Souls is difficult as part of its storytelling. <laughs> I have a feeling that these comments are going to bring up Breath of the Wild again at this point. Well, that's, I think that's a, a fine example. Yeah, because that's, that's a very systemic game, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's more about the systems than it is about any uh, linear, strict storytelling. Oh, right. Well, it... I, I suppose technically it's it's about it's about breaking away from the linear because if you try to do it linearly, you're probably going to die right away. Yeah. So it, it, the gameplay and the story is literally the journey. There you go. So in conclusion, <laughs> um, stop doing cutscenes and just make every game do that. Does. <laughs> Plus, plus me to that statement. <laughs> um, I don't know about you, but I'm suddenly quite exhausted after this discussion. I, I agree. There, there, there seems to be so little to talk about, yet so much to say. Well, that's the problem with such a broad topic, I suppose. Well, there you go. All right. Well, then I think that will do it for this podcast that comes after Slightly Civil War. Thank you everyone for listening remember to check out the episode is story more important than gameplay slightly civil war over at escapistmagazine.com thanks for listening hope we got you thinking about things that's all we can hope for hopefully we got you thinking and if you're making a game think about this stuff man think about it please do and bye it's good to think bye bye